Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. We got to go to Missouri or Missouri, as people in Missouri say. I, I You know, so when I was at uh, CNN, before I moved over to Fox, we had a debate out in Nevada and we were admonished, instructed, compelled to say Nevada, not Nevada, that people who are not from there say Nevada, people who are from there say Nevada. I, to this day, have no explanation for why some people in Missouri say Missouri. I I don't know, and it depends on where they live. It's like Southern Missouri says Missouri. I guess it's because they're close to Arkansas. I have no idea. Nonetheless, we must go to Missouri. The ex-wife of Missouri Republican Senate candidate Eric Greitens accused him in court documents Monday of knocking her down, taking away her cell phone and keys, physically abusing their children, and repeatedly threatening suicide if she did not publicly support him during the 2018 scandal that led to his resignation as governor. The filing by Sheena Greitens prompted some Republicans in Missouri, including Senator Josh Hawley, to call on the former governor to leave the race. Hawley has been critical of Greitens in the past and has endorsed a competing candidate. If you hit a woman or a child, you belong in handcuffs, not the United States Senate, he wrote. Senators Joni Ernst, who, like Hawley, has endorsed another candidate in the Missouri race, and John Thune also said Monday Greitens should withdraw from the race. Sheena Greitens, who now lives with her children in Austin, Texas, where she works as a university associate professor, described for the first time publicly what she says she experienced at the end of their marriage in documents filed as part of an ongoing child custody dispute in Missouri State Court. In early June 2018, I became afraid for my safety and that of our children at our home, which was fairly isolated due to Eric's unstable and coercive behavior, she wrote in the filing. This behavior included physical violence toward our children, such as cuffing our then three-year-old son across the face of the dinner table in front of me and yanking him around by the hair. She said that after her ex-husband knocked her down and took her cell phone, keys, and wallet in April of 2018, he explained his actions to her mother. When my mother confronted him about this, he told her that he did so to prevent me from doing anything that might damage his political career. She described one of her children coming home from a visit with Greitens in November of 2019 with a swollen face, bleeding gums, and a loose tooth. He said dad had hit him. However, Eric said they had been roughhousing and it was an accident. The tooth later died and had to be removed. Greitens responded saying it was completely fabricated, baseless allegations. I'm seeking full custody of my sons and for their sake, I will continue to pray for their mother and hope she gets the help she needs. The campaign manager for Eric Greitens, Dylan Johnson, accused Sheena Greitens of being emotionally abusive, of launching, quote, what is clearly a politically motivated attack against him. This attack is nothing more than a sad attempt to force a father to yield custody of his children to a deranged individual. Now, if you want proper context for this, while Eric Greitens was governor of the state of Missouri, he invited over uh, the woman who cut his hair. Apparently, they started having an affair. 
and he blindfolded her and bound her naked and took pictures of her and then threatened to blackmail her. He admitted to the affair. He denied taking the photo. A felony charge against him alleging invasion of privacy was dropped by prosecutors, but he was forced out of office. This man wants to be the United States Senator from Missouri, and Missouri Republicans, if you go back to Todd Akins, uh, have a history of picking the candidate who's going to lose. Josh Hawley was the Attorney General of Missouri who investigated the allegations against Eric Greitens and has come uh, forward with a lot of passion on this and said, absolutely not. He knows more than the public knows on this issue, and all he's saying is don't do it. And now the wife comes forward and says the guy beat her and the kids. And yet there is a strain of the Republican Party who are so passionate about not believing anything anyone tells them because people are criticizing Greitens for his behavior. They're like, well, I guess I got to go with him because everybody lies. I can't believe anybody. I must go with this man. It's one of the most profoundly disturbing aspects of this postmodern society, and in particular, people in the Republican Party, who, because everybody in the media tells you, well, I can't believe it. If people in the media told you tomorrow that if you jump off a high building, you will splatter on the ground and die, a lot of people are going to go jump off the building and die because, well, the media told me, I can't believe the media, I got to go do it. There are people in the Republican Party, I got to go with this guy. Yeah, I know he tied the woman up in the basement and beat her and took pictures of her naked, but the media is telling me this. I can't believe him anymore. I got to believe him, not the victim. I I can't believe the victim. I got to believe him. Why are you so self-destructive, people? The United States Senate is 50-50. Republicans just need one seat, people, one seat to send Chuck Schumer packing. Missouri leans Republican. I can hear some of you saying, well, then it doesn't matter if it leans Republican. It's going to vote for the Republican, and I can take the guy who beat his wife and kids and tied up a naked woman and took pictures of her. I can vote for him. Alabama is more Republican than Missouri, and Alabama went with Doug Jones, the Democrat, over the judge, Roy Moore. Do you really think Missouri is going to go for Eric Crichton's? And you know what? He's leading in the polls. It's name ID. He leads with name ID. And some people, because everybody else is saying don't do it, they're going to do it. It's the obstinate contrarianism that runs through the country right now, particularly on the right. Problem as well is is in uh, Arizona. In Arizona, Doug Ducey, the popular governor of Arizona, is not going to run for the Senate because Donald Trump got in and said, I'll campaign against him. And he's like, well, I mean, why be miserable and go to the Senate and be more miserable? I'll just not run. Well, now in Arizona, the Republicans, that they, they've got just a, a um, cavalcade of crazy running for office. The one guy who could probably do it, the Arizona Attorney General, is a terrible fundraiser and not great on the campaign trail. Mark Kelly is ripe for being beaten. The Arizona Democrat, the former astronaut, um, the, um, the, the, the husband to Gabby Giffords, the, the gun control activist, He's ripe for being beaten. And my goodness, 
Republicans in Arizona are falling all over themselves to make sure he can't be beaten. Frankly, I have this concern in Georgia with Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker will not go out on the campaign trail. He is avoiding as best he can any of his opponents, any attacks from his opponents, everything uh, whatsoever. He is is trying his best to avoid being on the campaign trail, and he's got some baggage. I mean, it, it, it's not like Herschel Walker is unknown. He's got a book. There are criminal allegations. He's got ex-wives and mistresses who say he abused them. It's like the Eric Greitens situation, but he's Herschel Walker. And, you know, the irony here is that Herschel Walker could get elected. He can go out. He can be very upfront. He suffered. He's got multiple personality disorder. He has suffered mentally. He sought treatment. You should not reject him uh, because if you're rejecting him, you're setting back mental health in America. He could totally go make that. He hasn't made that case yet, but he, I suspect he's going to have to because you and I both know the Democrats are going to be unsparing. Same with Eric Greitens in Missouri. They're going to be unsparing. And Greitens actually has a real deep record there, even in, during his time as governor, and he beat his kids, according to his ex-wife. And then there's Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz is running for office. Dr. Oz, who first said he would not give up his Turkish citizenship, and now says, yeah, if he gets elected to the Senate, he will give up his Turkish citizenship. He's So he's dual citizenship, the U.S. and Turkey. Really, if I win, I'll give this up. Not I'll give this up and, and prove my, my fidelity to the United States. No, he's not doing that. Uh, the guy's a, uh, a huckster. And yet uh, there are outside groups coming in to raise money for him because he's Dr. Oz. He knows Oprah. We should we should run him for the Senate. You've actually got a couple of people in, in Pennsylvania who thankfully the polling shows are going up. The Republicans need just one seat, and they look like they're going to screw up every seat. In Wisconsin, you got Ron Johnson, the incumbent, running. And Ron Johnson could pull this thing off, but Ron Johnson's not a great candidate on the campaign trail. But it is one of those issues where in Wisconsin, the Democrats have gotten so unpopular, he could win. But my gosh, the Republicans seem like they are screwing this up out of the gate. It seems like every single time they try to find a candidate, they get a clunker. All you need is one seat. All you need is one seat. You know, ironically, the silver lining for the Republicans is Nevada not Nevada. The Republicans have rallied around one person. The non-Trump Republicans and the Trump Republicans, they've all rallied around one person, my friend Adam Laxalt. He's a good dude, and he is going to be the U.S. Senator. The Democratic Senator from Nevada is polling behind him. He used to be the Attorney General of Nevada. He's got high positive statewide name ID. We could pick up that seat. But then if we lose Ron Johnson, we're still a 50-50 Senate and Chuck Schumer's in charge. We got to pick up other seats. We got to pick up other Democratic seats. We could pick up New Hampshire, but we've had terrible recruiting in New Hampshire. So we we got to hold Pennsylvania. Remember, Pennsylvania is Pat Toomey. That's a Republican seat. So we've got to hold Pennsylvania. The odds are, as long as it's not Dr. Oz, we can. We've got to hold Missouri. If Eric Greitens is the Republican nominee, we're probably not going to be holding Missouri. We need to pick up Georgia. I'm worried about Herschel Walker in Georgia. I am. 
Uh, maybe he can pull through, but I, I got my concerns and I want them on the record. I'm happy to be proven wrong on this one. If there's a big Republican wave, it won't matter. Herschel gets elected. But if the Democrats come after him with all these allegations starting to surface, the abusing women, uh, holding them at knife point or gunpoint or threatening their lives and all of that, it's going to be brutal general election in Georgia. And he refuses to answer those questions. Honestly, he refuses to even uh, have a debate. You know, speaking of, it looks like David Perdue in Georgia, Trump's candidate for governor there, is going to refuse to debate uh, Brian Kemp. Not only that, he refused to debate John Ossoff and lost. So I guess he'll refuse to debate Kemp and then refuse to debate Stacey Abrams as well. Uh, the Republican Governors Association is all in for Brian Kemp. They've stopped mentioning David Perdue. So has Brian Kemp. He stopped mentioning David Perdue as if Perdue's a non-factor now. Good for them. Y'all, the Republicans need a seat to win the Senate. But you got to hold Wisconsin, you got to hold Pennsylvania, and you got to hold Missouri. And right now, the Republicans look like they're in a disaster trying to find candidates to run for office. And frankly, Donald Trump's interference in places like uh, Arizona is not helping them. They got a real shot. You just need a couple of seats. We can flip Nevada. But then we got to hold these three. We need to flip Georgia or Arizona. And Donald Trump is just messing things up for the GOP. Does he want his legacy preserved or does he want the Democrats in charge? It's going to have to be a question that he's got. I don't know who's advising him right now. But, man, if they could just get him to stay out of these races and let the GOP win, it's not like they're going to distance themselves from him. But would you rather Chuck Schumer in charge of the Senate or would you rather Mitch McConnell in charge of the Senate? I don't particularly care for Mitch McConnell but I'd rather him in charge of the Senate to completely block Biden's agenda. Remember, the Democrats, if they control the Senate, still have reconciliation as a weapon. The only way to stop them from using it is to put them in the minority. It's your choice. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I, I, so I, I, just bear with me. I'll get to the phone calls here in a minute. I, I One of the things that I find most absurd in the news is plane crash coverage. The China East Airlines, and I don't know if y'all have seen the video, but it's out there. It was called on a security camera. That plane nosedived. Like it was not a, a decline on the like the belly of the plane. No, it went straight down, nose first, vertical impact into a mountain, 22,000 feet in a minute. And there's speculation about survivors. The New York Times headline, uh, Chinese plane steep plunge points to minuscule chance of survival. How about no chance of survival? Uh, it does not take a genius to understand that if you fall 22,000 feet in one minute, that, I mean, you're, you're falling faster than the, um, what, what is it, the rate of gravity would pull you. Uh, what's terminal velocity? You're you're falling faster than terminal velocity. So, you know, all objects, when they fall, that they hit, hit what's called terminal velocity, a speed at which they can't fall faster just, just uh, because of friction and, and air resistance and all that. But if you've got the engines of the plane on, you can overcome the terminal velocity and slam into the ground. And they're like, well, there might be survivors. No, I'm sorry. There aren't. Stop toying with people's emotions and giving them hope where there clearly is a hopeless situation. Just needed to get that off my chest. Now, I'll take some phone calls here. Jim, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I appreciate your worrying about Donald Trump interfering. 
in various state elections, but I was wondering if you thought that any of his candidates that he might back, if they went down like Purdue, do you think anything would make Donald Trump back off? Uh, yeah, you look, I think that kind of would. In fact, there are a ton of people out there who kind of view the um, view the Kemp Purdue primary as a testing ground for Trump, as well as the North Carolina Senate primary between Ted Budd and um, what's his name, the former governor there, uh, uh, Pat McCrory. Uh, McCrory is winning, though he does not have Trump support. The other guy does. And Kemp is winning, though he does not have Trump support. Purdue does. And a lot of people are thinking if, if he gets blown out of these and in Alabama, Mo Brooks, who he endorsed, is floundering around. Trump's threatening to pull his endorsement. Uh, it, it could suggest that that Trump is waning and maybe he needs to reconsider how he's handling his endorsements. Uh, Bill, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hi, uh, thanks for uh, taking my call. First, I want to say I was cheering your Ukraine monologue. Oh, thank you. But uh, first, I, you know, these Trump ads uh, just viciously attacking Brian Kemp, they've gone up. I don't know if you've seen them, but I almost expect to see fire coming out of Trump's <laughs> nostrils. They're so, it's so vicious. I, I was wondering if you think that's effective. It doesn't seem effective to no, me. No, I, I, look, I don't think they are. I haven't, I know there are some that are up, Bill. I haven't seen them yet, but no, I, I don't think they're that effective. You know, uh, President Trump gave an interview with Stuart, Stuart Varney on Fox Business yesterday, I think it was, and he continues to insist that unless we deal with 2020, we can't deal with 2022 or 2024. And there is a contingent of Trump supporters who say, if we can't figure out how they stole 2020, we're not going to be able to win in 2022. They're a, a rapidly reducing minority segment of voters who are very loud, but not very thoroughly represented. Could they throw an election to a Democrat if their views aren't interested? I guess. But there's also no reason to be held at the whim of a small minority of very loud voices when you want to win in 2022 and 2024. I just don't think those sorts of ads are effective on Kemp, particularly he has a record to run on. And, and you know, even David Perdue in Georgia, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is doing a uh, story that Perdue has had to start talking about other issues besides the 2020 election because it's not playing for him. That's kind of a warning sign for everyone in, in the Trump world that this continuing to fixate on 2020 isn't going to work moving forward. Voters are far more worried about the president who is than the president who was, and that's something the GOP and Donald Trump's team have to keep in mind moving forward. When we come back, we got to talk about Hispanic voters and the economy. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, we got to talk about some of the economic news that's out there right now and fill you in on what's happening it appears that we're going to have even more interest rate hikes going up. Uh, Goldman Sachs economists, in-house economists, expect the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates by 50 basis points, that's a half percent, in both its May and June policy meetings. The economists there said the Fed will likely raise by a quarter percent in the four remaining meetings in the second half of the year with three quarterly hikes in the first nine months of 2023. That's pretty significant. The change of forecast by Goldman Sachs follows a speech and comments Monday by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell that the central bank is prepared to raise interest rates by a half percent point at its next meeting if needed, deploying a more aggressive tone toward curbing inflation 
than he's used in earlier days. Federal policymakers raised the benchmark lending rate by a quarter point at their last meeting, ending two years of near-zero borrowing costs. Powell indicated that half-point hikes may be on the table uh, for the next meetings. Now, what does all of this mean for you? First of all, uh, too late now to refi your house on the lowest rates. You can still get a pretty good deal on interest rates, but they're starting to creep up over 4%. Uh, we were able to lock our uh, refi in around 2.9% or so. I got my bought my car, and I think my interest rate is, is half a percent. Crazy. Uh, and now rates are starting to go back up. We probably never see that situation again. Uh, at least not, I'll never say never, but, but for a very long time, we won't. Um, it's going to help people on fixed income who rely on interest-bearing accounts, but uh, it's got to tamp out inflation. There's a problem uh, that the country is having to deal with right now. It's a problem, particularly for the Democrats. U.S. wages are increasing, but not nearly enough to keep up with the soaring cost of gas and rent. Uh, the Urban Institute has done this survey. Low-income households are likely to feel the squeeze the most. Higher prices for gas and rent are shrinking these families' budgets for other daily needs like food. Most low-income workers commute by car, as do three out of four Americans. But despite the pain at the pump, the price of an electric vehicle is out of reach for many, even if they'll save on fuel in the long run. Families under the federal poverty level are also much more likely to rent their homes than to own them, meaning higher home costs as landlords raise rent. And inflation reached 7.9% in February. People have to sometimes make decisions that long-term are not in their economic best interest, but they're what they can afford at the time. I've mentioned this before, um, light bulbs. You can get an, an LED light bulb pretty cheap now. Um, they're, they're pretty reasonably priced at this point. You can get a, uh, I'm looking, you can get a, a 750 lumen, uh, 60 watt equivalent light bulb now for a dollar, which, you know, for a long time, they were not that cheap. And they also lower the cost. Now I'm looking at the same, uh, website, and an incandescent 60-watt light bulb costs $1.43. So you can actually get an LED bulb cheaper than you can an incandescent bulb. For the longest time, though, you could not. And poorer Americans were buying the incandescent bulbs, even though the LED bulb or even the, the compact, compact fluorescent light bulb would save them some money. People can transition at this point because of economies of scale, but then there's the issue of electric vehicles. An electric car is an expensive car, and there's not really a used car market for electric cars in this country right now. And a lot of people, most people, buy used cars. They don't buy um, new cars. A Tesla Model 3 is $37,990. That's on Carvana. It's used 13,000 miles. So the beginning of the used car market on Carvana, the, the, your typical baseline price is going to be 45000 for a Model 3 Tesla, $96,000 for a Model S, 58000 for a Model Y, and 106000 for a Model X. 
And by the way, Tesla is increasing prices because of supply chain issues. Now, Tesla is not the only electric car in the market. A lot of people talk about Tesla as if it's the only electric car in the market. Uh, General Motors, Ford, uh, there are Rivian, there are a bunch of people, uh, companies out there making electric models. Tesla's just kind of the gold standard. And the reason it's the gold standard, and by the way, they're not fantastic cars. Now, I've got friends who love their cars, but the interiors aren't necessarily as nice as, as like my Yukon Denali. It's fantastic interior, better than any Tesla. But Tesla's kind of the gold standard for cars. So, for example, uh, during cold weather, during cold weather, an electric car battery runs down faster. And Tesla has computer algorithms in their code, uh, programming code for running their cars, where a Tesla battery is far better at cold weather than most other electric vehicle cars. And they used to not be that way. It's just they've been out for so long that they've gotten better than the other vehicles, and other vehicles will catch up in time. Now, all of this is not a commercial for Tesla. It's uh, They're just the best known. When people think of electric cars, they think of Teslas. But uh, the issue here, more importantly, is that even at $37,000 for a used Tesla Model 3, most poor people are not going to go out and get a Tesla. You can find cheaper vehicles out there. Uh, you can find uh, used cars out there for a few thousand. They're beat up. They're junky. But, I mean, you can get a 2016 Toyota Corolla for $15,000 on Carvana compared to 30-some-odd thousand dollars for Tesla. Which one are you going to buy if you're poor? And you need a vehicle. Three out of four Americans commute. You're not going to get Americans to flip over to electric vehicles immediately. And raising prices on them while inflation is up is not a smart thing. But the Democrats are virtue signaling their love for the fight against climate change by keeping prices high. And now at the same time, uh, the investors around the world have lost faith in the central banks. The central banks, whether it's the Federal Reserve or the European Central Bank or the like, uh, are raising interest rates. A lot of investors think they they let the good times roll for so long, the, the inflation's got the better of them. And now they're saying they got to respond quickly. Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis President James Bullard said U.S. monetary policy needs to be tightened quickly to stop putting upward pressure on inflation that's already too high, reiterating his call for interest rates to rise above 3% this year. The neutral rate is the level that neither spurs nor restrains inflation. Bullard estimates the rates at 2%, while the median of his colleagues puts it around 2.4%. Their latest quarterly projections show they see rates rising to 1.9% by the end of the year, 2.8% by the end of 2023. That's not moving fast enough. Inflation's still going to outpace growth. So you've got inflation outpacing uh, jobs or the uh, paychecks. You've got inflation outpacing gas. You got inflation now impacting grocery prices. People are getting pay raises and they're still coming away with less money. It's like Freddie Freeman, uh, the Braves first baseman, moving to the Dodgers. He's going to get 160 million instead of 140 million dollars, but with uh, taxes in California, he's going to come out a loser. It's the same way. You get a pay raise of a thousand dollars, but your gas bill goes up two thousand dollars. You are losing money. You're barely breaking even. 
And the federal government seems to be clueless about all of this right now. The Biden administration seems to be going out of their way somewhat maliciously to cause prices to go up on people and then blame other people for it. Here's Larry Summers, uh, the Obama economic chief who went on to be president of Harvard. You know, I wish the president got more help uh, from his economic uh, advisors. Those spreads between gasoline prices and and refined prices vary substantially on a range of factors. There's lags between the price of oil and the price of gasoline. When natural gas is in short supply, when diesel is in desperately short supply, it affects the mix of products that refiners provide in ways that change uh, that spread. Maybe there is a basis for thinking that profits are being padded, but there's nothing that would support that in the president's tweet. And I haven't seen any analysis coming out of the administration or any place else that provided serious uh, support for that. Larry Summers saying the president is blaming everyone, blaming profiteering, blaming Putin, blaming the like, and there's really no evidence for that. There's really no evidence for profiteering right now. Prices are going up because of inflation, because of supply chain restraints, because of demand. And the Biden administration is so much more focused on blaming everyone else instead of actually trying to come to terms with the actual problems we're dealing with. It's not going to be helpful for this White House if they can't get a clear grasp of what's going on in order to fix it. And the economic team in the White House is so busy pushing progressive left-wing wackadoo economics, their own version of voodoo economics, they can't actually figure out a solution to the problem. It's left to the Federal Reserve, and yet now you've got progressives want the Federal Reserve to get on all the climate change action, which is going to just muddy Federal Reserve policy. It's not just them. The SEC as well, the Securities and Exchange Commission, voted on partisan lines. They want companies to assess compliance costs stemming from global warming. It's one of the most bizarre things. Uh, many companies provide details on climate risks when disclosing information they deem material, but investors often find it hard to make comparisons. So the SEC decided they're going to compel companies to report greenhouse gas emissions from their own operations, as well as from the energy they consume and obtain independent certificates on their estimates. It will drive up costs for compliance. It's outside the scope of what the SEC does, yet the Democrats want every major federal agency involved in climate change. And it just drives up costs on businesses. And guess what? They're going to pass those costs on to you. Now, back to the phones. Paul, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome, Paul. How are you? I'm well, Eric. How are you this afternoon? Good to speak with you. Um, So you've already alluded to a lot of the reasons why inflation is high. So I'm not going to get back into that. But the, the way I see it, these rate increases are not going to do anything to solve that problem. All you're really doing is, hurting the, the small businesses and the consumer who relies on, on debt to, to live, and, and their costs are not going to go up. You're not doing anything to solve supply chain. You're not doing anything to solve the $5 trillion that was spent during the pandemic. You're not doing anything, anything to solve the problem of the 3 or 4 million workers that have exited the workforce, which is why wages are going up. So, unfortunately, the way I see it, maybe if you disagree, please tell me, I feel like we're headed to a period of stagflation where we're going to have inflation that's not going to go away, but the economy is not going to grow in any true or meaningful fashion. This is the worst of both worlds. 
Oh, I look, I think you're more right than wrong on that. I it, it very much looks like stagflation, and a lot of economists are thinking that's there. The only saving grace is if the Fed really does act super aggressively, which they're not going to do. Uh, because they've got to do that joint balance between uh, keeping inflation low and keeping employment high. They can't juggle that in a stagflation situation like this where Congress continues to spend. It's not going to end up good for any of us, and we're going to have an economy like we had in the 1970s. Joe Biden will be worse than Jimmy Carter when it comes to the economy. Daniel, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Well, I'll get straight to my point since i got to get out of the car soon. Um I was going back to your um, Donald Trump situation as far as um, I am actually not um, to be surprised. I mean, I was a Trumper, and the people are now calling me, oh, you're an anti-Trumper because you won't stay on board. You won't get behind his. Um, I'm not voting for Jody Heiss. I'm not voting for Vernon Jones, and I'm sure not voting for Herschel Walker. I'm not voting for David Perdue. I'm voting for Brian Kemp and Jeannie Seaver running for governor and lieutenant, go- lieutenant governor. Excuse me. Um, but the thing is, with all these Trump-backed candidates are getting these endorsements. As a matter of fact, I think something come out. Um, it's not financially. It, um, it's not uh, getting any more backers behind David Perdue. Um, needless to say, but um, if some of these and most of these primary candidates lose, um, are they setting Donald Trump up to fail? And maybe he needs to reconsider. Um, running for 2024 and maybe find a new presidential nominee candidate because um, it's going to hurt him. And, well, I mean, frankly, I'm not going to vote for him. So I I have a pet theory here, Daniel. Um, It's it's my theory. I've, I've got no real reason to back it other than looking at these endorsements coming. I think at this point, uh, Donald Trump's team who are helping him make endorsements, if you look at this, they're, they're cashing in on him. So he's not getting the best advice on who he should support or how he should support. He's getting a bunch of people who are making money. Uh, you got uh, like Kimberly Guilfoyle, I believe, is running an outside group for Eric Greitens in Missouri. So the Trump team is is um, badly advising President Trump on who to vote for or who to support so that they themselves can cash in on candidates they think have a fundraising potential. And yeah, I do think it hurts Trump's legacy and certainly does when you get to 2024. If his major endorsements have all lost, it it raises a question of how can he win? Um, and I do think if they all go down in flames, it may discourage him from running in 2024. He, he may feel like people have moved on from him. Uh, in fact, there are a lot of people who want to beat the people he endorses for that reason. I just think he's getting really bad advice from some people. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number... Let me go to the phones. I want to go to Patsy. You're going to be up next. Welcome. Thank you, Eric. Um, I know you're really busy, and I hate to change the subject back to the Ukraine situation, but my husband has a different view about this war, and I don't know how to rebut anything he says, so I want to get your advice. He, uh, He agrees with Russia and Putin, because he said that it's the same difference as when the Russians parked nuclear weapons on Cuba and pointed them toward us. And if Ukraine joins NATO, NATO will put weapons um, in the country of Ukraine, and uh, Russia will be surrounded by NATO countries, and they could attack. And I, I really don't know what to say back to him about it. He's 
really up on politics and does a lot more research than me. We have a special needs child that I take care of, and I don't have the time he does. But I, I disagree with the war, and I disagree with Putin, but he he has these points he brings up, and I needed somebody smart like you to tell me what I can say back to him. And uh, Well, <laughs> you know, first of all, you, you know, Russia already borders uh, countries that are uh, NATO allies. Uh, so you, you've got uh, a number of countries, uh, like, for example, Poland is now largely a NATO ally, uh, but also more importantly here, you've, you've got a situation where it's not on the, it's not in the cards for Ukraine to join NATO. It, it, this is one of the things the Russians have been saying. We don't want them to join NATO. We want, don't want them to join NATO. Uh, the issue of Ukraine joining NATO was raised about a decade ago and rejected. Uh, and they're they're not in NATO right now. The, uh, but you know, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, all three of whom mm-hmm. uh, uh, abut uh, Russia, they're they're all part of uh, the NATO alliance now. They're they're all friendly with NATO. Finland looks like it may be joining NATO uh, because of what the Russians are doing. What, what uh, Vladimir Putin has suggested and what he has advanced is actually causing the further expansion of NATO. Uh, But the bottom line that you need him to understand, Patsy, is that joining NATO has not been in the cards, and Zelensky himself this week said they won't be joining NATO. So why then is Russia still doing this? Um, They're doing it because they view Ukraine as historically their territory. It would be like the British invading the United States saying, well, you used to be part of us. Come back. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.